Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. Today's episode is sponsored by Health Innovation Media. We bring your brand messaging alive on the ground and now in the virtual space for major trade show, conferences, and innovation summits via our signature pop-up studio. Connect with us at www.popupstudio.productions. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media, publisher of ACOWatch.com, and your Pop Health Week co-host with my partner co-founder, Fred Goldstein, the president of Countable Health LLC, a Jacksonville, Florida-based consulting firm. Our guest is Dr. Charles Chima, the Director of Graduate Education and Assistant Professor of Population Health at the Bauer School of Population Health at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. The mission of the Bauer School of Population Health is to provide world-class graduate training to prepare the next generation of scientists and healthcare professionals to improve the health of individuals, populations, and communities through enhancing healthcare systems and health policies. Dr. Chima trained as a physician at the University of Nigeria and worked in primary care for two years. He obtained a Master of Science in Epidemiology from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, University of London. He subsequently obtained a Doctor of Public Health degree in Health Services Research and Global Health and further training in Health Informatics at the University of Texas Health Sciences Center at Houston. Dr. Chima is a population health scientist who seeks innovative ways to improve health outcomes and reduce waste in healthcare using the population health approach. He has led large-scale chronic disease population health initiatives in Houston and provided advisory services as a consultant to state governments in Nigeria on primary care reform. He was also an HRSA Primary Care Research Fellow at the Family and Community Medicine Department, Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. So Fred, over to you. Help us get to know Dr. Chima and his work at the John D. Bauer School of Population Health. Thank you so much, Greg and Charles. Welcome to Pop Health Week. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. So why don't we start, give us a little bit of your background and how you got into the academic world. Thanks for the opportunity to get um, Pop Health Week. I'm Dr. Charles Chima. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and the John D. Bauer School of Population Health. Also uh, the program director for the three population health programs in the school. I got into Pop Health. I'm a physician by training. After a few years of clinical practice, I kind of went the public health route uh, with graduate degrees up to doctoral level in public health. And then uh, I was working on some projects in Houston where I did my doctorate in public health. And that's kind of how I moved from the idea of being a, the idea of public population health, which for me, having that clinical and public health background was a perfect fit because, uh, you know, it gave me the opportunity to really uh, have both perspectives as to the holistic approach to to improving the health of the population and not just uh, thinking about things in silos, you know, whether it's governmental public health or whether it's community-based action, the traditional activities we do in the healthcare sector, which is where a lot of the money is in the U.S. So having the opportunity to work on some Medicaid reform projects as a project manager, managing some really highly funded chronic disease initiatives to transform care for diabetes, hypertension, and other chronic diseases kind of gave me an insight as to this new approach to improving health and the potentials of it. That's kind of how, you know, I decided this is what I want to do for a career is to, to leverage both my clinical and, uh, and public health background to essentially develop new models of care, uh, build new partnerships, and to educate 
capitalize on a new way of thinking when it comes to holistic approach to improving patient health. So that's, right. yeah, that's kind of my own personal journey to population health. That's fantastic. And you mentioned also, obviously, the John D. Bauer School and the three programs. So could you tell us a little bit about those three programs and what they do? Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, so the John D. Bauer School of Population Health was established in 2016 as the third independent school of population health in the U.S. It was really uh, thanks to the, to the vision of a founding dean, uh, Dr. Bettina Beach, and uh, and the generosity of Dr. John D. Bauer, who's a retired nephrologist here at UMMC, and his uh, foundation, the Bauer Foundation. Uh, with the endowment, we were able to start this really ambitious initiative to change uh, how we train healthcare health providers, you know, not just healthcare providers, but also you know researchers and uh, managers, and uh, that will work with uh, you know clinicians to to transform health and healthcare. So we have three departments uh, at the moment. We have a preventive medicine uh, department, which which you know has a preventive medicine residency. We have a data science and biostatistics program that has a master's and PhD, but there uh, you know, but a really unique, uh, one unique aspect of the school is the Department of Population Health Science, which has developed quite some innovative programs on uh, two degrees in Population Health Science, a master's and a PhD, and an executive master's in Population Health Management uh, that is really targeted at practicing uh, clinicians and, uh, and uh, healthcare administrators who are looking to, you know, for training in value-based care and, uh, you know, population health um, uh, principles and models and uh, practices. When you think about, you know, the school, obviously Mississippi has huge needs. It's always been a state that's struggled in certain areas and particularly around the health issues. And you first yeah. start out as a physician and then what made you move into that public health side? What did you see there that interested you? Oh, so from third year in medical school, I knew I wasn't going to be a clinician for uh, for long because I was, you know, increasingly frustrated by, uh, you know, these days we talk a lot about social determinants. And I, I saw that from day one, from the first day I entered medical school. So I, I did medical school in, in Nigeria, which we know is a developing country. And, you know, practicing medicine could be quite a challenge because, you deal with people who I, I still remember vividly, a 28-year-old, uh, you know, young woman who unfortunately passed away from breast cancer. And it was so heartbreaking for me as a medical student because I knew for quite well it wasn't because we didn't have, we, we had world-renowned general surgeons and, you know, uh, cancer uh, specialists uh, where I trained, and uh, they could take care of this woman. But this woman was diagnosed and essentially disappeared and then showed up when the cancer was stage four for a lot of factors, economic reasons, cultural factors. And that really broke my heart. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to be the guy that sits in the room and wait for people to come back when they're about to die. I'm going to go upstream and do something about it where people are able to engage and uh, really understand what it takes to be healthy and start to make utilize the healthcare system to, to achieve their health goals. So that's kind of how I to be in public health. And then Population health was a natural you know, next step to that is realizing that I don't have to see this as two different silos of healthcare and public health. That population health can actually bring this together to to look at the health of the population as a whole and, and bridge, build the bridges we need to maximize the resources to keep people healthy. Mm-hmm. And so it's a great story. And, you know, coming from Nigeria and then you come to the United States, tell me, as you, as you look at the U.S., what do you see that's similar to what you saw in Nigeria, and perhaps what do you see is different from that social determinants of health perspective? Oh, so 
you know, yeah, uh, so right, right now, right, we're, I mean, Mississippi, right, which is where the, you know, the Yermans' local population tower is, and it's it's kind of, uh, you know, strange, though, a lot of correlates, uh, you know, we, we tend to think about countries as developed and then developing or, or undeveloped and all that, but there is a lot of similarities in the challenges that people have when it comes to uh, accessing health and, uh, uh, you know, health, uh, promoting resources and healthcare. Uh, you know, talk about uh, that uh, Mississippi has a very high uninsurance rate, uh, with a lot of issues around cultural factors holding back people from care, especially in our ethnic minorities, you know, the African-American population, for example, having a lot of mistrust in the healthcare system. So you see a lot of similarities in these things in, across geographies, and it doesn't matter, you know, um, we just, those are a lot of factors that we need to look at when it, if we really have to keep a population healthy. And a lot of the solutions that that uh, apply across geographies as well. And, you know, for example, when it comes to digital health and a lot of, you know, new technologies that, that can help us provide around-the-clock care and, uh, and improve access, like telehealth, improve access to remote areas. You see that that applies very well as it does in sub-Saharan Africa, as it does in the, you know, in the southeastern U.S., for example. Yeah, it's, it's been fascinating. I've always kind of looked, actually, overseas to see what they have going on and potentially, yeah. you know, some of the things that they've learned there that would yeah. really be relevant to use here, particularly when back in the day when we did a program in, in the Mississippi Delta around high-risk maternity, and you recognize yeah. the power of text messaging, which they were using long before we were, you know, over in Africa in programmatic ways. Absolutely. In terms of the, the School of Population Health, you mentioned the Executive Master's Program and how that's designed for people who are already in the field who are looking to get into population health. You obviously did that as a practicing physician. So what are some of the things and advantages or reasons why practitioners, whether they're physicians or PharmDs or healthcare executives, should look in, into getting an executive master's in population health? Uh, that's a good question. And uh, so I think we've developed something really unique. We figured we needed at least three different programs. So two, two masters that are targeted at working professionals. So well, and both of them are, are so by working professionals, I mean, people who, are, who do we don't expect to quit their jobs and, co- and go back to school full time. So we figured, you know, there's, there's gonna, there needs to be the traditional masters that kind of gets a bit more into the science and a bit more into research methods, right? And that's the traditional two-year masters in population health science. But well, I think the, the very unique program that, you know, I think will be appealing to a lot of people in the industry will be the executive masters as well, because this then gives us opportunity to essentially, uh, I know that there's a lot of increasing opportunities for continuing education series, but this is a quite unique program that is developing a cohort format where we bring in people from, the, you know, we bring in some healthcare administrators, clinical pharmacists, uh, physicians, social workers, nurses, and, and kind of in a unique cohort where they're able to work together as a team or to, as they walk through the program. It's a 12-month program, and the three semesters, they take classes online and entirely through the program. And uh, But we require them to come in one weekend every semester. So three weekends over the course of the program, we're coming for a two-day intensive weekend here in Jackson. And uh, we kind of really use that to go more in-depth and do a lot of case studies around uh, particular topics, you know, like 
you know, exhaust economics as, as it applies to value-based care, uh, shared decision-making, uh, patient-centered outcomes. So a lot of unique uh, uh, topics that we think, you know, uh, uh, clinical informatics and quality as it applies to pop health. So we really use that opportunity to get it more intense in some of those topics that help people to then be able to draw lessons that they can apply in their job today. So we are not, that program is not training people who are going to go out looking for jobs primarily, right? These are people who are already either well-established or who have quite some senior people coming to the program or in the middle, early to middle uh, stages of their career, typically five years or more of practice experience, uh, either in a clinic, uh, clinical practice or administration, and they have this opportunity to to get for you know a bit of the science because we're going to a bit of you know science behind prevention and the population health to kind of be able to make the link as to why we do what we do. So we don't just focus on this is what work health is and this is how you know how we do it, but why and why does this matter and how do you actually measure outcomes and why are some of the programs are failing? So you know like this paper came out recently about hotspotting and uh, we're now questioning does hotspotting still work or not. Uh, did, did it ever work or did we get the science wrong? So we kind of get a bit into some of those conversations as to really understanding the context in which a particular study might have been done and how do you interpret that? And how do you know if, if you should take that findings and apply it to your population or what is best for your own patient population? So I think it's, it's uh, the, the two cohorts of people that have gone through the program have quite enjoyed it. And uh, uh, you know I think we will highly recommend uh, for people who are looking for that opportunity to gain an education while continuing to hold on to their jobs. Yeah, I know I've really enjoyed, uh, obviously, teaching in the program and the idea and concept of, of individuals who are already in the field bringing in some additional expertise, maybe a deeper dive into areas they don't quite have as much experience in, whether that's alternative payment models or ACOs or some of the other things in the class, is, has been very helpful from the feedback I've gotten from those physicians and other professionals, PharmDs, et cetera, that have been in the program. And how I know also that you do some research in in uh, Mississippi in the area of diabetes. Can you talk a little bit about that yes. and what you're doing with some of that? Oh, yeah, thanks. Uh, that's kind of actually one of the uh, motivations why I came to Mississippi. So, uh, you know, as we all know, Mississippi is, you know, has a lot of issues with health disparities. And a lot of, uh, you know, the South, uh, the South as a whole, but Mississippi, you know, uh, some people have referred to this place as the chronic disease capital of the U.S. in the, in the sense that, um, be it diabetes, uh, high blood, uh, hypertension, uh, you know, cardiovascular disease as a whole. We have a high prevalence of those here, and it's been that way for a while. Obesity, you know, and all the other risk factors. Uh, so part of our mission in the school is we, are, we actually see ourselves as an action-oriented school in the sense that our mission is, is to train students, but we also see that our mission to change health, you know, and healthcare in Mississippi. So we're actively engaged with the community and we see what the situation of health in Mississippi as the natural population health lab. So we are, we, uh, we get to work with a lot of stakeholders to think about why is it, and that's essentially the one unique thing about the population health approach, right? Is that we ask questions as to what are the factors that are driving the aggregate health of populations? Why is it that Mississippi has such a high rate of chronic disease? Uh, compared to other states in the union, for example. And why is it we have a cluster? Why, why is it that all the counties in Mississippi are in the diabetes belt in the U.S.? We, diabetes belt is something defined by the CDC to say, you know, if you have a certain proportion of your people in your county uh, having, a, you know, diabetes, then uh, it meets the bar, it meets the bar for, uh, to be considered as part of, you know, a cluster of counties, contiguous counties that uh, have a high rate of diabetes. So. Mississippi is the only state in the union that has 
you know, that has all the all the other counties in the state in the diabetes belt. And that's that's uh that's a you know dire situation that requires urgent attention. And part of what I, so part of the work that I've been doing has been engaged with engaging with nonprofits, with a lot of stakeholders like the Diabetes Coalition to understand, for example, focusing on the diabetes prevention program, which is a national uh partnership, uh public pro- Public private partnership that is led by the CDC to try and scale the evidence based uh, that uh, one year diabetes prevention program. So, this program is a lifestyle change program that gets people with pre diabetes, which is, you know, the blood sugar is already high. And uh, if we do nothing, we know that most of them are going to end up with diabetes in a, in, a, in a matter of years. So, but we have this unique program that is very affordable and highly effective. Up to 58% of people who go through this program have a good chance of not developing diabetes. So our goal is to, to how can we make this program commonplace in the state? And part of what the work I've been doing with Diabetes Coalition is to do a strategic mapping of the existing diabetes prevention program and to understand uh, you know, where there are opportunities to, you know, where there are essentially uh, hotspots, where we have uh, gaps in access to diabetes prevention program in the state. And uh, so we're doing some mapping on that area, but also working with our community health centers, because we think that those are key to improving health outcomes in a place like Mississippi, where we know we have a lot of people on the shot, we have a lot of poverty here. And uh, so people really, really depend highly on community health centers for healthcare. So what part of the work I'm doing with community health centers is to develop a clinical decision support system where we make it much more easy to screen people for pre-diabetes and not having to wait until we can give everyone a paper-based survey, right, to know their diabetes risk. So we use data in the EHR to prove our screening rates for, for pre-diabetes. We actually have a lot of, you know, outcomes from that uh, from that pro- project that we'll be talking about in the ADA, American Diabetes Association Conference coming up later this year, hoping that it holds considering the COVID-19, COVID-19 pandemic. But uh, the lessons we've learned is that we can actually use the electronic health record to quickly improve screening rates and thereby making it much, you know, uh, right now in the U.S., only, uh, 85% of people with pre-diabetes do not know that they have pre-diabetes. And that's a huge gap, but that's part of the reason why a lot of those folks are not uh, in the diabetes prevention program, because you can't treat something that you don't know you have. So what we're going to, what we're achieving with this project is that reducing, you know, reducing, uh, overcoming that rate-limiting step, which is to say we're going to quickly identify a lot of people who need to be tested and then we can move quickly to talking about referral. And then we're also in, uh, working on a project uh, with stakeholders to essentially uh, develop an ecosystem for diabetes prevention. We are uh, private sector partners uh, and uh, we have uh, uh, both digital and in-person uh, providers of the diabetes prevention program working together to, to improve the referral system so that we can get more people into the system and to then convince more and more uh, payers to reimburse for those programs. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. Today's episode is sponsored by Health Innovation Media. Our guest is Dr. Charles Chima, the Director of Graduate Education and Assistant Professor of Population Health at the Bauer School of Population Health at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Yeah. That's really fantastic and obviously a big issue in Mississippi. And, and speaking of that, we're, you know, we're into the COVID-19 coronavirus thing going on now and it's it's growing and at the same time you have these individuals out there you're trying to solve a larger problem for individuals that are pre-diabetic or have diabetes and get care and we're seeing some shutdowns are you seeing things in Mississippi that that are either being done to assist those individuals or that make you a little bit concerned that we're not focusing that direction 
Oh, so it has been a concern for the, you know for a lot of us in the in uh, in the diabetes space down here. Is okay, I, we understand the you know the, the the everyone is anxious right now. You know everything on everyone's mind is COVID, uh, you know, coronavirus. You know, even my even my, uh, my my toddlers now know what coronavirus is. You know, like uh, I remember my daughter asked me, "Am I gonna get coronavirus?" And uh, you know, having to reassure her every day that no, you're not gonna get coronavirus. Just stay at home and you'll be fine. So. It's it's on everyone's mind, and we can't think of seems to seem. And I've, and I've heard people say things like, "Oh, you know what? Prevention and wellness programs have to wait for now." But we actually think it's it's the opposite. Rather than thinking about things waiting, it's the question: How do we find alternative ways to keep going? And this is where digital health, telehealth, coming uh coming handy. So part of what we're doing right now, as we speak, is we have a survey going out electronically to all all diabetes prevention uh, providers in the states. Uh, trying to figure out how, uh, uh, you know, what their plans are to respond to. So we've gotten different responses, and based on that data, so far, so people are, uh, luckily, a lot of people are, are thinking of moving uh, towards uh, using telehealth. So for the next phase of that is to figure out if they really have the support they need to transition to telehealth. And then, uh, but some folks have said we are suspending our program. So part of that data we've got finding from the survey is that we're going to use that to engage and kind of make people realize that, you know, we can find ways to keep going because especially if people are staying at home, you know, we don't know how long we're going to be at home. If people stay at home for another one to two months, we don't want to, you know, to lose any gains we've already achieved in this diabetes prevention programs by people staying at home and being sedentary and, you know, consuming unhealthy diet. Because you know, remember again that the highest, the number one killer of Americans, women's cardiovascular disease, irrespective of, uh, we might have a bleed uh, from infectious disease this year. But uh, you know, hopefully, with all the efforts everyone is making right now and staying at home, uh, we can cut that down back quickly and we return hopefully to normal. But that normal is a normal where we have too many people dying from heart attacks and strokes. So these programs are critical to reducing the future incidence of heart attacks and strokes. And we hope to uh, to support. So part of what we're working on that is to uh, there are partners coming into the state working together to see how do we provide. Uh, a digital health platform that allows these programs to keep going while this COVID-19 is, is uh, lasts, and even in the future, to transit more to telehealth and in-person programs. That's really great to hear. I know a lot of people are are struggling to, fi- to figure out how to help the individuals with chronic disease as these offices are told not to see individuals for non-emergent care or urgent things. And I know also, obviously, I guess you're working to leverage that telehealth center that the University of Mississippi Medical Center has, which is one of the two uh, HHS national centers? Oh, yeah, that's, you know, that, yeah, that, uh, that's a, a really good point. Uh, you know, we have, this is one thing that, uh, you know, is, uh, we have here in, in Mississippi and that's available, you know, to, to students at the School of Population Health is this uh, National Cent- uh, Telehealth Center of Excellence of which there are only two in the country. So, you know, of all the bad news coming out of Mississippi, but this is one really great and big news that is important because more and more we are recognizing that telehealth is, is a big part of increasing access, especially to, to dispersed rural and understaffed populations, right? So we have uh, a very strong center that has done a lot of work uh, also in terms of understanding the limitations of telehealth in regards to bandwidth issues, 
but also in advocating to the, fed, to the federal government to, to invest more funding in regards to improving broadband access in rural areas. So yes, there's a lot that has come from Mississippi with regards to lessons on how, how telehealth plays a role in improving access. And, and that's a resource available at the school that we, that we, where we tap into and our students can also benefit from. Yeah, it's really, when I learned about some of the work they're doing, it was fantastic and how they were reaching out with some unique programs. And I know they've also been trying now with some of the issues going on with COVID-19 to look at different ways to utilize that service to help some of those rural populations. So uh, really an excellent idea that we'll all be able to learn from. The other thing I always thought was fascinating, and you mentioned a little bit, is that the school is set up not just to educate students or, you know, the next leaders in population health or executives looking to learn it, but it's actively involved in trying to fix the health of Mississippi. And are there some other initiatives that they've begun to work on or areas that they're looking at in terms of that? Oh, oh yes, absolutely. So there is a, you know, there are a lot of, uh, so I do diabetes-related work. I have a lot of, you know, great colleagues here at the, at the school doing uh, uh, my chair, Dr. Mena, is a nationally renowned HIV uh, implementation scientist. has really developed quite a lot of innovative models to, as you know, Jackson, even though Jackson is a relatively moderate uh, size city, uh, it has the eighth, eighth largest uh, rate in highest rate of uh, HIV uh, in the country. So uh, the community has been at the forefront of uh, a lot of innovative you know, uh, models of how do we get HIV prevention and treatment services to vulnerable, you know, black MSM, for example, very vulnerable groups that need it the most and who tend not to access care in, a, you know, comparable rates to other populations. And I also have a lot of great work going on. So, for example, there's a group, uh, uh, the Project ECHO, where they are they're using, again, uh, uh, telemedicine in this case more to improve the skills of, of uh, primary care providers to provide more specialist services, knowing that we have a huge shortage of specialists in the state. So the way we scale quickly, whether it's for cancer or for, or for uh, HPV or for in other initiatives they are working on, had to do with uh, figuring that we, if we wait until we train more specialists, then more people die. So the quicker way is to use specialist knowledge and disseminate that to up, up, uh, you know, improve the skills of primary care providers and their confidence to deliver more specialist services. So uh, there is a lot of, and of course we have the, we have the development of biostatistics and data science, which again for those who have more of a computational and, uh, uh, you know, statistical and mathematical background, they're looking for a more data, a data intensive program. That we have a biostatistics and data science program, like masters and PhD, that is really unique in the sense that uh, the whole big data stuff. We have been in a medical center, we have access to quite huge uh, databases, as well as you know the, the Jackson Heart Study, which is housed here at the University of Mississippi, uh, the Mind Center, which is a, you know has a lot of large grants working on the Alzheimer's and other diseases of aging. So. There's quite a lot of opportunities and uh, access to data that students do have uh, you know, in different programs in the school of population health. And something I wanted also to mention is in regards to the application cycle. So our executive master's program starts, it's basically the 12 year program, 12 month program that starts in the summer. So typically around the ending of May and runs, and runs through uh, the following April. So we're about to start a new cohort and uh, the application deadline ends in April 15. But then the, the other programs uh, have a sort of a June, a June 1st deadline for a fall start. So the applications are still op- going to open all the way to June and, and the students do start in the fall 
and they'll go on for two or four years, depending on if it's master's or PhD. And uh, the website is, you know, UMC, single M, umc.edu forward slash SOPH. That's for School of Population Health, SOPH, umc.edu slash SOPH. Well, that's really fantastic. And, uh, yeah, I would urge anyone who's interested in learning more about population health and getting an advanced degree, there is an executive master's program or in a regular master's or Ph.D. program to take a look at that at umc.edu forward slash SOPH. And thank you so much, Charles, for joining us. And stay safe and continue doing the great work you're doing in Mississippi. It's been a pleasure. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much, Fred, for the opportunity. You're welcome. And back to you, Greg. And thank you, Fred. That is the last word on today's broadcast. I want to thank Dr. Charles Chima, the Director of Graduate Education and Assistant Professor of Population Health at the Bauer School of Population Health, University of Mississippi Medical Center. For more information on the Bauer School of Population Health, go to www.umc.edu forward slash SOPH and follow them on Twitter via at Bauer SOPH. We'll also note the application deadline mentioned by Dr. Chima in this interview is extended from its April 15th deadline. So if you're interested, get on it. For Pop Health Week, my colleague Fred Goldstein and Healthcare Now Radio, this is Greg Masters saying, stay safe, y'all. We get better together, even if virtually.